0: Hey, it is so good to be with you this morning, and uh, we, we're in kind of a, a series, we're not in kind of, we're in a series uh, called Revolution. We're studying, we're going to be studying for a season uh, out of the book uh, of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's one of the uh, four books in the New Testament that tells the, the story of Jesus, which is the Gospel, that God loves us and do, would do whatever it takes to be with us, that he gave his own son uh, to die in our place, that we might have life. Uh, and so we're going to be spending uh, quite a bit of time in this book. And one of the things you'll notice in your notes uh, on the back side, if you'll flip over, is, is I want to start doing this a little bit more because what I realized is a lot of times we use words, but we don't know what they mean? And so you, you'll see a glossary uh, there on the back uh, uh, there of words of like, hey, here's the words we're using, whether it's prophet. What is a prophet? What, is, what does repentance mean? What, what does forgiveness really mean? What does sin mean? What do these words mean? We use these words a lot, and especially if you've been around or you're familiar with uh, Christianity or church, we use them all the time, but a lot of times we don't know what they mean. So my hope is that these notes will be, as we kind of study through the the Gospel of Mark, they'll be a resource that you can go back to on that. Alright, you can flip back to the front and we'll dive in this morning. Uh, Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt just like a failure. In fact, just just do this with me if you wouldn't mind. Um, think back to that moment maybe that where you felt like, man, I just am an absolute, I failed. I'm a failure. Happy Sunday. Be encouraged. Wish you well. Have a great week. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Here, here's what I know to be true. Failure is a common experience of the human condition. We often don't talk about it because we're so afraid to admit it. And we're, and we're running from it oftentimes. I, I woke up Monday morning with this overwhelming sense of failure. Failure. Just if I'm honest. We I mean we're just friends here. We're family, so I can we can be honest. I I mean, I just woke up and uh and as you know, things have been Changing, we've gone through transitions. We switched to morning, we're trying to do two morning services. We Jay and transitioned there and all this stuff. And life's been kind of crazy for the last four months. And I'm looking around, trying to juggle stuff, and, and and what I realized is I'm not doing anything very well. I'm just kind of trying to do everything. And I looked up and I said, you know what? I feel like a failure. As a dad, because I'm just when I get home, I don't have the patience. I don't have the, the the time to really engage. I just wanna just zone out. I feel like a failure as a husband. I feel like a failure, just personally. You ever had that where you just personally feel like, man, I it, I suck, you know? And I feel like a failure as a pastor. You ever had that just experience? And that's that was my Monday morning. I was like, awesome cool. And I had a moment I'll share, share uh, at the very end of where I had this, this real epiphany of what I felt like God challenged me with in the midst of um, this moment where what often happens for me, I don't know about you, what often happens for me is when I hit these moments, I, I go into pity party, you know, Ryan, Pity, oh, poor me, oh, boo-hoo, life sucks. Everybody needs to, you know. I'm the emotional one, obviously, of the family. My wife's way stable. I'm like high, low, you know. Um, but let me ask you this. What, what do you do? What do you do when you feel like life's falling apart and really you feel like a failure? How do you move forward? forward in the face of feeling, or maybe in the face of really being, you're like, man, I'm just failing. In fact, the, the text where we're going to sit in, I, I believe, answers three fundamental questions that we'll get to in a little bit uh, that we need to ask especially all the time but we need to ask especially in these moments i just got to be honest this text has ministered deeply to me and my prayer uh, is that it will to you as well Uh, let me pray and we'll dive into the text and then we'll ask those three questions God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the time just simply to be together and sing and just that last song, I will exalt. And sometimes we just have to command our soul. We don't feel like it. We just have to command our soul to exalt and look up and see that you indeed are God. You indeed are good and great and awesome. And so we come with an expectant heart that you long to speak and move. And I pray, God, that as we study your word, it would come alive to us that you would uh, you would fill me and speak through me and you would get me out of the way and you would have your way with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind opening them up to... Uh, Mark, that's the book we're in, chapter 1, and we're going to be in uh, verse 2 through uh, verse 13. And at the top of your notes, it says, preparing the way. And, and last week, we talked about that one critical question we have to ask, who is Jesus? Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? And Mark starts out uh, at the beginning of the gospel of the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and that who Jesus is 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 of utmost importance for us to ask as a community because if he indeed is Lord if he is God then it changes everything about us and how we live and operate in this world and if he's not then let's forget the whole thing and go play golf because it's beautiful out and I haven't got to play in a while and I get I'm real bad by the way um Now, preparing the way we move on to verse 2, and, and what we're going to see then is that Mark is going to set up, he's saying, I'm going to help paint this picture of who Jesus is, that he is indeed the Messiah. We said Messiah and Christ, right? That's the same word. Uh, one, Messiah is the Hebrew word, the translation of the Hebrew word. Christ is the translation of the Greek word. It means the same thing, anointed king, that the king, uh, the long-awaited king that Israel has been waiting for, that would restore them into their rightful place as the the preeminent people of God uh, has come, the Messiah or the Christ has come, and now there is a herald, there's these ancient prophecies that foretold this would happen. And so here's where we pick it up. It says, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, this ancient prophet, uh, that he said this, he foretold this would happen when the Messiah comes. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. In fact, just underline prepare your way. We'll, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. And then verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Go ahead, underline that again. Make straight paths for Him. And so John came. John, who we know as John the baptizer. John was the... uh, cousin of Jesus. And if you want to read a little bit more about John, you can actually find him in uh, the third chapter of every single gospel other than that. So Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, you can find his story there. And he was the cousin of Jesus, and he, uh, his birth was a miraculous one as well. He born to parents in old age, and most likely we believe that his parents died when he was young. He was probably raised by some, uh, uh, many think those who were, took him in were these uh, desert people that were really devout Jewish uh, people and raised there. And he comes, and he comes as the one who was prophesied to prepare the way for the anointed king. And he says this and he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So there's this guy in the desert and he's preaching a really difficult message. Think about this, you're going through your day, everything's going great and there's this guy outside of town in the desert and he's he's teaching and I don't know how he got started, to be honest. Why did people start going out to this guy in the desert to find out what he was saying? But somehow word got out that this guy outside in the desert's teaching, and it's a really difficult message. But with their fundamentally, here's the thing that you and I know the way often we go about life leaves us feeling more often than not like failures and we're just existing and we long, hey this isn't working. Give me something that works. And so you hear this guy out in the desert preaching this. And he says, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In fact, that word repentance, I I don't have time to unpack all these words for you, but they they are in the glossary uh, on the back. Repentance literally means to make a u-turn to change directions it is not just a change of mind it is a change of behavior and a lot of times we need to embrace that that when we repent uh, confession means to agree with god about where we stand and what we've done repentance then means to say i have been going this direction and now i am going to be turning around and going this direction I'm going the opposite direction I was headed. I was walking down this path, and I've changed paths. That is what it means to be repentant. It is when you're on the freeway, and you realize you went the wrong way, that you get on the off-ramp, you cross over the overpass, and you get back on the other directions. That is repentance. Get on the off-ramp of confession. You cross the overpass, experiencing his forgiveness, and you get back on the on-ramp, and you change directions. You go the opposite direction. See, that was his call. His call was saying to people, you're headed down the wrong direction. What you're doing will lead to destruction. And these are those people that think they're good. The Jewish people, we're the people of God. Everyone else needs that, not us, and he's preaching to them. And in fact, this baptism wasn't just for Jewish people. Jewish people, this was the baptism for those who are outside of Judaism to join back in and be a part of uh, a convert to Judaism. He's asking Jewish people to, to come as if they weren't Jewish and take on a baptism as if, and now be signified with the people of God once again. I'm talking about intense. And now listen, he's got this tough teaching. He's a prophet. It was foretold about him. He would prepare the way for the Lord. Verse 5. Now listen to this. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Man, talk about success. Man, he's. All Judean countryside, the Jerusalem, people are flocking to see this, confessing their sins. They were baptized to him in the Jordan. Isn't it interesting that, that sometimes we just need to hear something true? Irregardless of how politically correct it is. Irregardless of you know how it makes me feel, and all, I, I, just like no. Listen, you're headed in the wrong direction. Turn around. People go, thank you. Thank you. They were headed out to him. Now listen, every every gospel actually describes John because he was so eccentric. He was so strange. Verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. You got this guy out in the desert preaching a very difficult message, and he looks strange. He looks weird. He looks odd. And then he says this, verse 7, After And this is or was his message. After me will come one more powerful than me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I, will bapt, I baptize you with water, the some submersion in water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And now what you need to understand is there's a lot of different prophecies going on uh, that Jesus is fulfilling that the Messiah, the anointed one, has to come and fulfill. I mean, there's many prophecies. In fact, Jesus uh, fulfilled over 61 major prophecies. The likelihood of him fulfilling eight of them was like, I believe it was one to the, I wrote it down so I don't have to guess, one in, uh, to the 10, one in 10 to the 17th power, that's, is that 100 trillion? Is that right? Mathematicians? I, I'm not. But, but there, there was a mathematician that did the statistical probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies like he was from the line of David, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, that that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. There's 61 of these in the Old Testament for Jesus to have fulfilled, and he fulfilled all of them, that the prophet would become, there would be a messenger in the desert. Now, listen, verse 8, John says this. Here's his message. I baptize you with water. And he's preaching what? A baptism of repentance. Hey, I'm going the wrong direction. I need to change direction. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you got your Bibles, flip over real quick to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And here we see what's interesting And and why John is saying this, because he understands that he's preparing the way not for someone, but for God himself to come. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and this is the new covenant. He says, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. See, here's what we know. Willpower will not change you. A lot of us have tried really hard to experience life transformation and it's simply behavior modification and where we go you know what i'm going to stop doing that and you can try hard and you do good for a little bit but then eventually you fail and god says you've been going through that cycle Too much and too often there's one who's coming, the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, and when he comes, I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Spirit. I will give you a new heart. I will put my Spirit inside of you that will transform and allow you to live out the life you were created and meant to be. I long to give you new life. You can't fix it and work it out on your own. Only God can. He's saying, This is what Jesus came to do. That's why he's greater. Verse 9, at this time, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, And as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, I just want to, this really doesn't take us anywhere, uh, but a lot of people, when we think about this scene, it, it's kind of messed up. It's kind of cheesy. Jesus shows up. He gets baptized to identify with, with humanity and humanity's sin. He did not need to repent. He, ba- he was baptized to identify with us so that he said, I am part of humanity, fully God, but fully man, and I'm going to take on the sins of the world. And in that moment where he comes out of the water, no, I just, it doesn't say, a, like our movies have done this, where like a dove like flies down and it's like sits on his shoulder. So wimpy, so lame. It's, it's people looking and seeing, we don't know how to describe this. This is phenomenal. The Spirit of God transcended and fell down from heaven onto him, and we don't know how to describe it, but it is like a dove. And what a dove symbolized was simply this. A dove symbolized the humble self-sacrifice. That's what a dove meant in the Old Testament times. It was humility and self-sacrifice. And it says, somehow this dove landed, not a literal dove. It just this is what it looked like. I don't know how to explain it. It was like this. And in that moment, a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you I am well please a declaration of the of the godhead father saying I love you you're mine and it initiates Jesus into ministry his public ministry and so what does he do he goes and does all these amazing miracles and no actually at once the spirit sent him out into the desert Now, we'll get into this in just a second, but I just think it's so interesting. John has this incredible, successful ministry. He's got thousands of people lining up around him. They're showing up to see what's happening. They're excited. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, the one he's saying, whose thongs I'm not uh, worthy to untie. And there's an incredible moment where the Spirit of God falls on that place. You hear the voice of God speaking, and you're going like, man, this is the time to capitalize on the momentum. I mean, you got everybody around. It's this transfer, and so Jesus should hit the ground running, and it says at once. And this is a common phrase. You'll see it over and over in the book of Mark. Uh, And some of your translations say immediately. I believe it's used around 66 times in the book of Mark. Uh, And he writes at this fast pace, and you'll see it over and over, immediately, immediately, immediately. He just writes like, man, things are happening. He says, at once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days. Talk about not capitalizing on momentum. Momentum. Being tempted by Satan, you would think that if you were commissioned, then you would go out. And he spends forty days in the desert, being tempted. And he was with. And this is where one of many scholars believe uh, Mark's allusion uh, to comfort for the. Uh, the Roman, Gentile Roman believers, he says, and he was with wild animals. Only his gospel mentions this. Uh, and as we talked about last week, how the, the Roman Christians were being persecuted, were being thrown into the um, arenas and put animal clothes on, and they're being torn apart. And you'll see different uh, parts where Mark inserts these little things to say, hey, look, even your Savior suffered just as you did. He understands. And the angels attended to him. You got this prophecy, you got this prophet, and then you have Jesus showing up on the scene. So what what does this have to do with feeling like a failure? Because honestly, I mean, John was a success. What are the questions What are the questions that we need to ask and answer? And and it's true, irregardless of where you're at, but I think it's especially true if you came in this morning going like, oh, man, I'm not really sure about the next step. I'm really not sure about where I'm headed in life. I don't know, as a parent, as as a worker, as a friend, God, God, help. I think God's got a word of encouragement to us this morning. Three fundamental questions everyone need to, needs to ask. It comes from the text here. The first question is, what is my purpose? Now again, these aren't going to be questions that uh, are new to you. I guarantee you everyone who is over the age of 18 has probably asked all three of these questions subconsciously or consciously. But it is so important to refresh our hearts with this. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I called to do? You notice John, and we underline the phrase, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. See, the lesson we learned from John the Baptist, he was clear on his calling. He was clear on his purpose. In fact, his purpose, Purpose is the same purpose that every follower of Jesus has on this planet. It is to prepare the way for the Lord. My purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord. Your purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, you just say that with me. My purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord. That's very good. Try it again. My purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord. And that first begins in you. Prepare the way of the Lord here. Here. It starts with you. How are you preparing the way for the Lord in you and saying, God, I'm ready for you. What are you doing to prepare the way for the Lord here? And then it begins for those of us who are, have families. It begins then with your family. How are you preparing the way for the Lord with your family, with your spouse, with your kids? What does that look like? And then, and then it begins those around you. Uh, one of the things I just want to, oh, I've got to look at my time, okay. Uh, I want to hit on real quickly it is I've had this conversation a lot with people. The difference between uh, purpose and calling And especially our demographic, and we have a lot of uh, young 20-something wrestling, what is my calling in life? What do I do? And let me just give you this. Purpose is general, calling is specific, okay? Your purpose is general, and, and it is what? It is the what in life. All of ours, purpose, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is unanimous. It is singular, it is one. You can find it in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples. Prepare the way for the Lord. That is our purpose on this planet. Calling, if purpose is what? Calling is how? How do you prepare the way for the Lord? Now, it will be, that will be individualistic. That will be determined on how God made you up. That will be determined on your past experiences, your background, uh, and how your personality, all those sort of things begin to help shape your calling. All of our purpose is the same. Our calling is our unique role in how we go about fulfilling our purpose. Now, Now, some are wrestling with your calling, your specific role, And what I'd say is do what you know until God shows you differently. See, we sit on our hands wondering, oh God, well, I don't know my calling. I don't know what I'm specifically supposed to do. Then I'm not going to do anything. Do what you know until God shows you differently. And you know, I might prepare the way for the Lord. Well, you know what I know is that starts here. That starts with me. That starts with, God, I'm going to get into your word. I long for you to transform me. That that means what you say, I'm not going to take as nice suggestions. I'm going to take them as the word of God, and so I'm going to respond accordingly so and go, God has spoken. He said, love my neighbor. I know how to do that, right? See, so much of the Bible and so much of God's will is revealed, Only maybe 10% of God's will is is unrevealed. 90% is revealed. Here, do what you know until God shows you differently. And as you step into your purpose, he will reveal your calling. And we put the cart before the horse and go, oh, I want my calling. What's my calling? He says, step into your purpose and I'll begin to show you your unique calling. One of the great seductresses of the soul I believe, especially in the church today, is external success at the expense of eternal significance. We get caught up with something big and flashy and Facebook doesn't help and Twitter doesn't help and how do we have followers in the blogosphere and how do we have all this kind of stuff and we want to be known and famous and God doesn't judge us on fame but faithfulness. That's a real good spot for an amen. I just thought I'd let you know. (laughs) John 3.30. Notice this. Notice this. John uh, 3.30. John the Baptist says this because John's ministry was blooming, was successful. He had thousands of people coming out and then Jesus shows up on the scene and everyone shifts to him and people are asking, what's going on, dude? What's happening? You know, don't you care? And here's what he says. He must become greater. I must become less. It's interesting, isn't it? That John's purpose for his life, John the Baptist's purpose for his life, wasn't success in the eyes of man. It wasn't external success. It was the eternal significance. My role, is I, my part to play, my purpose, my purpose is to, is to hand off and make him great. And I serve. See, what, what if, uh, I wrote this down, what if your whole calling was to set up someone else for success? What if it's not actually about you or me? And we just simply prepared the way for the Lord. And last thought on this under what is my purpose? When answering the question of purpose, just remember this, weird doesn't necessarily mean wrong. I mean, just think about John and he's weird, dude. He's different. It doesn't necessarily mean wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean right either, okay? So that doesn't mean it's right. But so many people have belled on their calling because it was weird. They belled on their calling because their family didn't understand. They opted out for God's purpose and plan for their life because they were afraid and it was different. And you're called, I'm supposed to go love that community over there. Or, I'm supposed to do this. But it doesn't make sense in the American model mindset. And just remember, weird doesn't necessarily mean wrong. The first question we have to ask is what is my purpose? The second question, where do I find my value? Where, not, 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 not this, not what do I value, although that's a great question too, but where do I find or place my value where do I personally put value? Where do I find my own significance? And I think there's some common places where we find it. In fact, Robert McGee wrote a book called The Search for Significance. Great, great book. He identifies four major areas. He's a psychologist that wrote on this. And the four major areas that he wrote down uh, that we often find are significance or our value. The first is the area of approval. Others' approval. Searching for other people's approval. You say this, I must be approved by others to feel good about myself. And when others don't approve about me, my value goes up and down, and I'm like this. And you're always going here and there. And when others approve of you, you feel good and significant. You're like, you don't feel like a failure. And when others don't approve of you, it depends on, and you're like, oh, I just feel so bad. Everything else can be going great around you. But if he or she or they don't approve, you feel terrible. Other area that we often find are our significance or values in, in performance. Some of you are performance-oriented people. And you say, I must meet certain standards to feel good about yourself. And so you, you achieve, and you work hard, and you... I've got to be honest, that's where I, I tend to land a lot of the times. And you have to climb the ladder, and you make this next step. Others, he, uh, Robert McGee notes, failure as an identity. If I fail, I am unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. And it becomes the significance of between how you live and you just live in this world of, of guilt. And if I fail, no, I, you shouldn't, my significance is based on that and you shouldn't love me. I deserve to be punished. And the second, uh, last one is shame. Where you live out this life of I am what I am I cannot change, I'm hopeless. It's this very deterministic mindset and my significance is just the reality that's hopeless. Would you notice something, Mark 1.10? That phrase that the Spirit of God comes down on Jesus after he's baptized and he says this, you are my son, present tense, whom I love, present tense, It's ongoing love. And then he says this, whom I'm well pleased, a past tense action completed, it is already done. Now let me ask you this. What, what has Jesus done so far? You ever think about this? What what, what has he accomplished so far in his 30 years on the planet? Anybody? Huh? Obeyed his parents, yeah. Built furniture, absolutely. Basically nothing, right? I mean, in eternal significance and value, what we go, what he came for this planet to do, he's done nothing. This was God's statement of him before he's done anything. His significance and values, God said. You're my son. Nothing changes that. I love you. Before you've done anything, you're accepted. You're well, in you, I'm well pleased. See, approval precedes achievement. If we find our significance in our performance, in others' approval, in past uh, history of failures or shame, what you'll find is that you will go from this to this to this all of your life. And I get it. I've been there, I'm there. I mean, that's really what Monday was all about. And God says, you have the focus, the attention and the affection of the God of the universe. And when he looks at you, not based on what you've done or could do, he says, you are my son and you are my daughter whom I love and I am well pleased. Not because you did anything or could do anything. It's just because I love you. What a transformation it would make, men and women, if we began to find our significance in the approval of our Heavenly Father that is so solid and secure. Approval precedes achievement. Acceptance preceded accomplishment. Um, Closing thought here, because some of you are here, Jesus, 30 years And and it was a waiting season. 30 years, think about this. You're the God of the universe. You show up on the planet. You have a mission to fulfill. And for 30 years, you're just faithful in one spot. And you know you're not living out what you're made to do yet, but you know it's time to wait. And here's what I'd say if that's where you're at, waiting doesn't necessarily mean wasting. And some of you are in a waiting season. Some of you are in a spot where you're waiting on, it might be a, a spouse, you're waiting on your kids to come back, you're waiting, you're waiting on, you know what, I'm not in the right place at work. I'm, uh, again, some, some are waiting and you need to step forward and you need to go, okay? But some are waiting. It doesn't necessarily mean wasting. That was so, Uh, formative. See, Jesus, think about this. The record of what Jesus did and accomplished only took place over the course of three years. Three years. As a result, we sit here today, 2,000 years later, because of three years worth of work. Those 30 years were foundational and formative of what God used. And for some, you just need to feel the freedom of, okay, you're in a season of waiting. Be faithful where you are. Third and final question we need to ask. First is, what is my purpose? Second, where do I find my value? And third, what is most important? It's the question of priorities. What is most important? Mark 1 12, you notice this line. At once, immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Did you notice the priority of Jesus' life? To listen to the voice of God over and above what seemed like if I was in that situation, if I was going to give Jesus advice, I'd say, man, now's the time to go. Now's the time to engage. Look, we got everybody around. They saw what happened. You're going to go where for how long? Come on, come on, come on. Come on. And we get, we get lured into that, right? The success trap. Oh, this is happening. Oh, I got to do this now, immediately. And know, Jesus fully God but fully man. The way he lived and walked on this planet wasn't like he pulled back his chest and he had an ass. He lived in full submission to the Father, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. He listened. It took an act of obedience to say, Wh- whatever the Spirit says, whatever the Father says, I do. And we're invited to live that way too. See, I think there's three voices that we often hear. Uh, in our own mind. And I think uh, hearing the Spirit of God is one of those um, things we talk about in church, but we don't unpack a whole lot. And go, well, how do I hear the Spirit of God? I, th- I think there's three main voices. Uh, the first is uh, myself. The first voice I hear is myself. And, and really, w- that voice is talking about me, my comfort, my needs, my life. And, uh, and so that voice is often, when, when I know the voice of myself well, because it's the one that kind of says, "Well, what about me?" And another voice that here, and I believe we hear, is actually the voice, and you notice it in the text of Satan. There's an adversary. There's an enemy. There's one who, as Peter says, that seeks to destroy you and I. And that voice is: You ever have those thoughts that come into your head that are evil, that are luring you away from God? That, that you go, where did that come from? And all of a sudden, you just, it just comes in like, what in the world? That's, that's where that voice comes from. And the third voice is the voice of the Spirit. Self, it's about me. Satan, evil. The voice of the Spirit is, and this is the way I, I've come to discern the voice of the Spirit in my life. If it's not about me and it's not evil, then it must be the Spirit of God. Because when I have the inkling to go talk to someone I don't know or feel compelled, that's not from me. And when I have the inkling to go serve someone and step beyond my own comfort or disrupt my own pattern. If that's not from me, chances are that's the Spirit of God. And as you begin to listen to that voice and step into that, you will begin to hear His voice more clearly and know it. And so you won't have to, well, is that me or is that the Spirit? Well, my, my mode of operation is, man, if it's for others' good and it's outside of me, if it pushes me outside my comfort zone, most likely, most probably, that is the Spirit of God. Question here as we move on, though, is what is most important? The question of priority. Jesus's priority, you see it in the text. Jesus' priority was God, your will, your ways, not mine, not what I want. I have this cool moment, and then you're sending me into the desert. It took a choice it may you make a decision your priorities are uh, shown by your choices you make not what you say notice this misplaced priorities lead to misspent lives misplaced priorities lead to misspent lives in silicon valley we have it like no other success at all costs got to have the right house got to look the part Consumed by work, consumed to have every experience possible. And I'll just give you maybe a clean priority list God, you. If you have a family or spouse, mine mine goes this way God, me, and this is a new, like, okay, because if I'm not taking care, I don't have, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You got to be able to love yourself to love your neighbor. It's not self love, that's destructive. It is an accurate, God, I'm accepted, I'm loved. My spouse, kids, ministry. You get disordered priorities. You get the order wrong leads to dysfunctional lives. Uh, And finally on this, this may be a word of encouragement to some. The wilderness doesn't necessarily mean you're outside God's will. Wilderness, pain, hurt, doesn't necessarily mean you're outside God's will. God has used the wilderness as a motif throughout the Bible for his place of preparation some are in the wilderness because of sin and you are outside of God's will and in that moment you need to repent but some are in the wilderness because you're in the place of God's preparation and what you need to do is submit just go God I'm here in your timing in your keeping under your training and when you say I'm done, I'm done. Let me learn what I need to learn. And some of you are in wilderness experiences and experience pain, and God is preparing and using that time, and you uh, need to stay there. And it doesn't mean you're outside God's will. Three fundamental questions everyone needs to ask. Oftentimes, what I noticed for me in those moments where I feel like a failure. It's because I haven't answered one of these three questions well. What is my purpose? Where do I find my value? And, and what's most important? On Monday, my wife and I were going uh, to eat because uh, when, when I feel bad, I medicate with food um, And so we're we're going out to eat, and as I was walking uh, around the corner, I had this epiphany moment, and it changed my whole week, and it brought freedom, and I was just like, whoa. And it's a powerful thing, isn't it, perspective? Uh, Perspective shapes all of how we see and understand life, and if we're able to have that little sliver that changes our perspective, your entire outlook of life, no matter what the circumstances, completely change. As we're walking around uh, to go to this place, I'm like, oh, God, I'm failing in everything. This is the internal conversation I'm having uh, with him. I'm like, I'm failing as a dad. I'm failing as a husband. I'm failing as a pastor. I'm just, I'm f- just a failure. And this question pops in my mind. Well, okay, so, so you are. You know, I'm like, well, no, wait, you're not supposed to affirm that. that's not, and this question, what Can't you afford to fail in? I mean, what is it if you really boil life down, and I sat with that, what is it that I can't afford to fail in? Because much of my motivation and much of my feeling was external stuff around my purpose. It was external stuff around what made me feel significant. And as a result, my priorities reflected that. And I said, well, what is it that you look at and at the end of your life, you don't want to fail at, you don't want to have missed, and I came just with three clear things: I don't want to fail in my relationship with you, God. I, I, I don't want to look back and say that I've wandered away or that you didn't have me. I, I long to have an intimate love relationship with you. I don't want to fail there. I don't want to fail in my relationship with my wife. And the third, I don't want to fail as a dad. I don't want my kids to to hate the church because their dad was a pastor and to not know the love and grace of Jesus. And so this picture came to mind. And that's why you have these silly balls. And you're wondering why you've been holding them the whole time. Because here's what I realized is I had all these things and I have work and I have my marriage and I have my kids and then I have like trying to eat healthy and, you know, um, trying to be like a good friend and I have all these things and I'm like trying to juggle them and I just felt like uh, this is what happens and what I realized is, uh, uh, some of you are good jugglers, I'm not. I can juggle three. I just wanted to do this so you could be impressed. See that? (laughs) Okay, yeah, okay, that's about all I got. I can juggle three. That's my capacity. Some have more capacity to juggle more. But at some point you throw too much in, you're not clear on what's your purpose, what's most significant, and and, and what's most important, you just end up dropping them all. And so you you have to decide. What? What can't I afford to let fall and drop? Doesn't mean that you don't give it attention. doesn't mean that it's not important. It just means that there's certain things that you'll carve and create time for, no matter what. So I want to do this with you. On, on your ball, and you have that sharpie. I just want this to be like a little reminder, and we're just going to, as we close, do a little action item. Here, in light of your purpose on this planet, in light of your value and what's most important, would you take this ball and write down what you can't afford to let fall? Just take a moment. I'm just going to give you maybe a minute, and you can finish the exercise later if you need, but I just want you to write it down on there. What are the things, because I wrote mine down this week, It is so powerful, so freeing to go, okay, you know what? All else, if all else fails, what I know I don't want to let fall is my relationship with God. And it goes in this order. All else fails, what I know I don't want to let fall is my relationship with my wife, my kids. I'm sorry, you guys weren't on the top three. (laughs) But I tell you what, it's made me a way better pastor this week as a result. And that's what it does. It gives you that clarity. It makes you, and it allows you, frees you up so you're not living under this immense pressure. You're not living under this immense, I have to approve or achieve or perform. You go, man, that's it. At the end of the day, at the end of my life, that's it. I just want you to take this ball as a silly, I know it's, Reminder, but just to keep it there and just keep it somewhere where you'll see. Maybe it's in the car, just wherever you're most tempted, where life gets busy and you forget, you just keep the ball on. Someone's like, What's that ball about? I just don't want to let it fall. That's weird. I know. Uh, Howard Hendricks said this. He's a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, incredible, incredible man. He wrote this, my fear is not that you would fail, but that you would succeed in doing the wrong thing. Taking this moment to get clarity will ensure that you will succeed in doing who you're made to be. Ask those three questions. What's my purpose? Where do I find my value? And what's most important. Would you stand with me, and we'll pray as we close. God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the time together. Thanks for your great grace. Thank you for this church, and uh, God, these men and women you've brought here. It's so humbling to get to be a part of this journey. God, would you allow us as a church to step fully into who you made us to be and to your purpose for our lives? But most of all, may we hear the whisper of our Heavenly Father saying, I love you. You're fully accepted. I approve. I'm well pleased. And out of that would be the way we live our lives in relationship with you. God, would you make us a church? Would you make us a church that experiences your grace and lives in that freedom that it it would just be so compelling to a world around us to know what that is? In Jesus' name, amen.